series called Storm Chasers. Um, again, some of you will recognize that uh, the name Storm Chasers comes from that popular Discovery Channel program where scientists and pseudo-scientists and maybe scientists that maybe really aren't true scientists are just going for the thrill of seeing these tornadoes and these extreme storms. We're calling it Storm Chasers because throughout the Bible from uh, Genesis to Revelation, we see that wherever there are storms, God's nearby. And we who have put our faith in God and who trust God really have nothing to be afraid of. We don't have to be afraid of any storms. How many know that today? No matter what storms... Oh, man, three people over there agree with me. Whatever the storm is, you have nothing to be afraid of because God is nearby. If you put your faith in him, if you trust him, that whatever storm you're facing or going through in your life right now, you don't have to be afraid. I'm going to demonstrate that to you in just a few moments through God's word. Let me tell you the story about Elijah. Elijah is one of the great, some would argue the greatest Old Testament prophet. He was raised up by God at a time in Israel's history when the people had truly turned away from God. If you don't know it, the Israelites, the children of Israel, were in fact God's chosen people. They were his people on the earth. And their job was to be a light to the rest of the world, that through these people, the whole world would be able to see and experience and know God. The problem is, is that God's people had turned away from him and turned to other gods. Has anybody ever heard of the god Baal? B-A-A-L. The people had turned away from God and they were worshipping this, this despicable god called Baal. And uh, I'm not going to get into it this morning, but if you do a bit of research, you discover that this god Baal is connected to all sorts of sexual perversions and violence and all the, all the worst things that, that one could say about human beings. It's all wrapped up in this Baal worship. Kind of reminds you of what's happening today, doesn't it? The people had turned away from God and they were serving Baal. So God raises up this, this prophet by the name of Elijah. And Elijah, his job is to challenge the king because here's, here's what we discover throughout the Old Testament. And that's this. That where there's a lack of true godly leadership, there is almost always, almost certainly, a moral declension or moral decline. And this is what was happening in the nation of Israel. And so God raises up uh, Elijah, who challenges King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Anybody ever heard of Jezebel? Whenever you hear the word Jezebel, you always think of maybe um, a woman who is, is uh, uh, attired in a way that would be inappropriate for, for church, for sure. And uh, definitely somebody who's very rebellious. Well, Jezebel is the one who's the great, the great force or the great, um, great champion of Baal. And so she hates Elijah because Elijah's coming, coming along and trying to, trying to influence her husband against Baal. God uh, 
uses Elijah to pray so that the rain would stop. And no rain falls in the land in, in Israel. And because of the lack of rain, a drought comes to Israel. And it's a horrible drought. And there's no rain, and there's no food, and people are dying. And Elijah prays that, that the clouds would, would not give rain so that the people would recognize, once again, how much they depend on God. And then finally, Elijah calls for a contest, a showdown. And he says to the prophets of Baal, meet me at Mount Carmel. And while we're there, we'll find out who the real God is. And so Elijah says, here's what we're going to do. We're each of us going to build an altar. And we're going to slaughter some bulls and lay it upon the altar. And we're going to ask God to send fire from heaven. And the, the one who is the true God will send fire from heaven to consume that offering. And if you know the story, you know that these 450 prophets of Baal, they very ceremoniously set up their altar, put the wood on the altar, and they, they slaughter the, the bulls and they put them on the altar. And then they began, begin to do their chanting and their dancing around the altar, crying out to Baal. And it's going on and on. And finally around lunchtime, Elijah says, so where is your God? Is he going to the can somewhere? <laughs> That's what it says. You've got to read it. Maybe he's having a nap, or maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's somewhere else, not listening. So Elijah's kind of taunting the prophets of Baal, and of course, it's making them furious. And they begin to take to take knives and swords, and they start cutting themselves. The blood is pouring in the name of Baal, trying to desperately to get their god to send fire from heaven to consume this this offering. But of course, you know what happens? Nothing. So finally, Elijah says, if you guys are worn out now, watch this. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. He takes 12 big stones, each stone representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He gets some wood, he puts it on, on top of those stones, slaughters the bulls, put them, puts them on. And then he says, this, look, dig a trench around this altar. And he says, well, what, for what? Just, just do it. They dig the trench around that altar. He says, now what I want you to do is I want you to get four big jars of water and pour it on the offering. Soak the wood with water. Soak everything with water. And they did that not once, not twice, but three times. So there we are. Three times four. How many jars of water is that? It's 12, right? (laughs) You didn't know you were going to get a math exam here this morning, did you? So here are 12 big jars of water poured on this offering. And then Elijah says, now you're going to find out who the real God is. Now you're going to see who Israel's true God is. And in that moment, Elijah looks up to heaven and says, God, show these people who you are. And bang, fire falls from heaven and it consumes the meat the soaking wood, it, divide, it consumes the stones and all the water in the trench. And the Bible says even the dust was consumed by the fire of God. Everybody falls on their face and they know who the real God of Israel is. 
Now let's, could someone say hallelujah to this? this is, yeah, that's our God. Now, everybody now who has been following Baal and listening to the prophets of Baal, now they, they're, they're, now remember, they're looking at this, this fantastic, spectacular display of God's power, and they turn from Elijah, and now they're looking at those prophets. Now, wouldn't you hate to be those prophets who promised so much and lied so much and distorted the truth so much and have led the people astray so much These people now are furious. Now remember, these prophets of Baal, these priests of Baal, these are not just religious people who happen to be serving the wrong God. These are extremely wicked, evil people who are are involved in the ritual uh, sacrifice of children and all kinds of horrible things. These are evil, wicked, wicked men beyond anything that you and I could ever imagine. And Elijah says, slay them all. Don't let one of them get away. And so all 450 prophets of Baal are all put to death. And the people declare without reserve that the Lord God of Israel is the only God. And they begin to worship him again. Hallelujah. Now listen to this. You would think that that's all it would take to get the people of Israel back on track, wouldn't you? Elijah says, you know what? Now that the prophets of Baal have been destroyed and now that the fire has fallen from heaven and now that everybody is back on track and now that everybody knows who God is, he says, I'm going to pray now that God will open the heavens and that the rains will come. And so that's exactly what he does. He prays. And the sky that would not give rain... For all those months, suddenly there's a little cloud in the sky the size of a fist. And Elijah says, it's coming. Get ready. The rains are about to come. And of course, the rains do come. It's something really bizarre happens. Jezebel, you would think, the queen of Israel... The one who is supposed to be concerned about the welfare of her people is absolutely livid at Elijah. And he, she says, she makes this great declaration, just, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, let, wait till I get my hands on Elijah. He is a dead man. She's not thankful for the rain. She's not rebuked or corrected in any way. She refuses to acknowledge or recognize the great God. Instead, what she says, I'm going to kill that, that prophet. I'm going to put him to death. Elijah gets wind of this, and he takes off, runs into the wilderness, frightened, scared, silly. And look at, let's just look at the scripture here. It says that uh, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. And he sat down under a solitary tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Really, Elijah? You've just seen the spectacular outpouring of God's power and might. You've just seen your prayers answered, Elijah. And now you're saying, that's it. I've had enough. Take my life, Lord. I'm done. Has anybody ever felt like that? Has anybody ever felt, you know what? I've served God and people are taking me for granted 
taking care of my kids. I can't stand it anymore. They don't appreciate anything I say or do. Let's it, Lord, I take my life. I'm done. Elijah was defeated. Even after that great victory, he's absolutely defeated. He's depressed. He's emotionally spent. He says, I just can't do it anymore. Maybe some of you have felt that way in your service to God. You just say, God, I mean, I have given everything. Where are you, God? One day he's, <laughs> this is me, one day he's praying for God to send fire from heaven. And if fire comes, one day he's praying for rain to, 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 to stop. And then he's praying for rain to come. And God answers his prayer. And then the next day he's praying, God, take my life. I'll bet he was glad that God didn't answer that prayer. Have you, uh, in your times of emotional distress and depression, have you ever felt like, man, I can't go on? Well, you know what? I want us to, uh, to consider once again that scripture passage that we just saw on the screen. Because God hears Elijah's prayer and thankfully doesn't answer his prayer. He doesn't take Elijah's life like Elijah requests. And he teaches Elijah a lesson, a lesson that absolutely every one of us has got to hear. First Kings chapter 19, verse, verses 11 to 13. And it says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Elijah learned something this day that absolutely every one of us is going to, has to learn if we're going to grow spiritually. And I think today I, I'm pretty confident that most of you would like to grow spiritually. I think most of us here would like to mature in our faith. Most of us don't want to stay immature and as infants. We want to grow up in our faith. Well, here's the thing. What you all need to know today is that God shows his power in the spectacular. But he speaks to us in whispers. Can I say that again? God shows his power in the spectacular, but he speaks to us in whispers. Let me just talk for a moment about, about the spectacular. You have to understand with, with Elijah, he, he prays, God, let the rain stop, and the rain stops. There is a widow that, uh, 
that needs needs food. She's running out of food. And, and Elijah says, I'm going to do a miracle and, uh, and, and your, your flour supply will never end and your oil supply will never end. He prays and it's so. And this woman keeps going to pour oil out and oil comes out. She keeps going to get the flour and flour comes out. It doesn't stop. Virtually, she's got a never-ending supply of food during the famine. Elijah is fleeing from, from King Ahab. He's hiding in a secret place and God starts feeding Elijah with ravens. Has anybody ever been fed by birds before? Most of us feed birds, right? (laughs) These are birds that feed people. And so here's Elijah being fed by ravens. Pretty spectacular stuff, people. This same widow whose whose oil and flour was about to dry up and whom uh, Elijah prayed for, her son died. And Elijah goes and spends some time in prayer with that dead child. And next thing you know... God has raised that dead child back to life. Pretty spectacular stuff, wouldn't you say? And then, of course, the great contest on Mount Carmel with the fire falls from heaven. And then Elijah prays and the rain falls. But now Elijah is absolutely worn out. He's spent. He's depressed. He's down. You see, Elijah got used to the spectacular, and he expects... Only the spectacular. In fact, I, pro- I think he probably was expecting that after God sent the fire from heaven to consume the bulls, that maybe he would send some fire to consume Jezebel. But it didn't work that way. God, while you're, while you're consuming this, this great offering, would you, would you mind sending some lightning Jezebel's way? <laughs> Put us all out of our misery? But God didn't do that. God sends a windstorm to Elijah, and God God says, I'm not in the windstorm. I'm not in the tornado. I'm not in the earthquake. I'm not in the fire. Elijah, I'm not, I don't speak in the spectacular. And some of us have experienced God very powerfully in our lives. And the only way we think that God can minister to us and speak to us, and the only way that we feel that God is truly present is if spectacular things are happening around us. That's an immaturity. That's an immature faith. That's an immature understanding of a relationship with God. I went to camp when I was... uh, uh, a boy, and it was age 11 or 12, I can't remember which. But it was there that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit in a, in a very powerful way. And many of you have heard me t- tell or share this, uh, tell about my experience. I felt like fire was falling from heaven, like from head to toe, and just this coursing heat and fire through my body. It was powerful, and I began to speak in other tongues. And uh, I was in prayer, uh, it felt like just moments, but it was actually hours and hours. I was on my knees praising God and worshiping God, experiencing God in, in a very powerful way. I was laughing, I was crying, I was worshiping. I, I felt incredibly empowered by the Holy Spirit. In fact, I was. Incredible uh, boldness and witnessing and sharing my faith after that great experience. 
And I got this idea in my head that the only way that God, that I could truly experience God was in some kind of a spectacular setting with some spectacular things happening. I thought the only way that I could experience God is by going to camp and kneeling at the same chair that I knelt at when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And some of you have had some incredible experiences with God, and you expect that God's going to do exactly the same thing over and over and over again in your life. But here's the thing. God doesn't do that. Oh, he might. He might repeat it at different times in your life, but that is not the norm. That is the exception. And for some of us, we feel that maybe God has deserted us because we're not seeing fire from heaven and we're not seeing the earthquakes and the, and the windstorms, etc., etc. Here's Elijah, totally devastated. God, why didn't you strike that Jezebel down when, when you consumed that offering? God uses the spectacular to show his power. But God speaks in whispers. God uses the spectacular to teach us lessons and to get our attention. But it's not the place of learning and growing. Some of you know that at the beginning of July, my family and I, we went to uh, Banff. Is that a surprise to anybody here? <laughs> you know how much we love Banff. And one of the things we love to do is we like to hike. We, we went to a, do a hike that we haven't done for some time. It's the Bow Lake hike. And you begin at, at lake level. And you begin to hike your way up to the source of the lake. And uh, it's, it's, actually, it's beautiful. It's, absolutely, it's spectacular. You, 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 you hike up through the trees and you come to, the, to a clearing where there's nothing but snow, glacier, and rubble. And the thing that you recognize or you notice right away is that there is nothing growing there. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now because here's what you will discover. You will discover the spectacular on the mountaintop, but nothing grows there. And you may want to be experiencing the spectacular in your life all the time, but here's what's going to happen. You'll never grow. Growth happens in the valleys. It doesn't happen on the mountaintop. Can I say that to you again? Growth does not happen on the mountaintops. It happens in the valleys. For some people, the sum total of their faith is just, just the spectacular. They want to see miracles. They run from this meeting to that meeting to this preacher to that preacher. Anoint me with oil and, and, and you know, wave your magic wand over me, pastor, and, and deliver me of that and shake, me, shake this out of me. And God, let there be spectacular happening. You know what I'm talking about? I want to tell you something right now. There are seasons of the spectacular in our life, and thank God for them. But the place of growth is in the, is in the valleys. It's in, the, it's in solitude. It's in the quiet place. When it's just you alone face-to-face with God. And God says to Elijah in the whisper, What are you doing here, Elijah? God engages Elijah in this conversation, which we'll talk about just more in, in more just a moment. But let me say this. Dur- during our building program, some of you, how many were around for our building program? Just sort of wave at me. Not many here. But we, uh, 
we were a little church, just, just a handful of people. I don't think we had any more than 60 people. And God laid it on our hearts to get this building. And do you know that we were halfway through our building program before we ever got a mortgage? It was unbelievable. And uh, we would get, we'd get checks in the mail for $5,000, $10,000. And you've heard me tell a story about that little old lady. I went to unplug her toilet in the middle of the building program, and she handed me a check for $25,000. And then another time, someone writes me a check for $40,000. Thousands and thousands of dollars came in while we were in our building program, while we needed it. And as soon as that building program was over, as soon as we entered our building, our first service, remember that Marilyn... Christmas Eve, 1999. That was the end of these amazing, spectacular checks. I said, God, it would sure be nice if you kept them coming. <laughs> and God, you know, God, said, God spoke very clearly to my heart. He said, it was first season, and now it's time for my people to take responsibility for the work that I've given to them. The spectacular, the miraculous, the great and marvelous things, they're for seasons. But true growth happens in your quiet time with God. <laughs> in First Kings chapter 19, 12 to 30, let's look at that. Oh, there's already there. After the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Here's where the real growth happens, people. Are you ready for this? It's not in the spectacular, but it's in the quiet times. It's in the solitude. It's in the whisper. These quiet conversations with God. Elijah was calmed down. He was panicked. He was uptight. He was anxious. And God says, What are you doing here? And then 1 Kings 19, verse 14 says, here's, here's, here's his answer. This is great. Ready? He says, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have, been, have broken their covenant with you. They've torn apart your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I'm trying to go spectacular. God says, calm down. Calm down. Relax. So God calmly tells Elijah what's about to happen. He says, Elijah, listen, you're, this is, Israel's not your responsibility. It's my responsibility. They're my people, and I'm going to take care of this. Do you have any parents here panicked, hyperventilating, worrying about your children? Look, at, bring it to God and relax and let God do his thing. Anybody here panicking over your work situation? Any missionaries going to the Philippines or Burundi and you're ready to panic? If you're not, I sure was. And God calmly tells Elijah what it's about, what's about to happen. He goes, look at Elijah, just calm down and here's what's going to happen. Jezebel's not going to get you, so just calm down. Relax. What you're going to do is you're going to go anoint a new king who's going to take Ahab's place. And you know what? You need a helper, so you're going to go anoint young Elisha. He's going to be your new helper. And then while you're at it, 
Um, I want you to know this. You think you're all alone facing your problems, but I want you to know that there's 7,000 others who have not bent their knee to bail. So just calm down, Elijah. Now, I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to us this morning. He's saying, just calm down. Everything's going to be fine. Just keep your eyes on me. Keep trusting me, and everything's going to be fine. Is the Spirit of God speaking to your heart this morning? Calm down. Everything's going to be fine. You have nothing to worry about. Just keep your eyes on me. So in that solitary place, Elijah learns that God is truly sovereign. He's in charge. And no matter how difficult the circumstances around him may be, no matter how threatening and no matter how panicked he may feel, God's in charge. God's sovereign. God knows what he's doing. God is still the king of the universe. He still knows how to run this town. You know, I thought the only place that God could meet me, Alan Duncalf, was at camp. But then I discovered every Sunday night at Calvary Temple, after the service, Pastor Barber would invite believers to go to the prayer room to pray. Does anybody remember those days? And I think I was the only 13-year-old in the prayer room every Sunday night seeking God's face and asking God just to continue to do his work in my life. Just quiet, just me and God. And then I began to have a a very, very intimate and personal quiet time with God. And so, you know, you've heard me say to you over and over and over again, you have to pray and read your Bible every day. You have to pray and read your Bible every day. Why? Because it's in that quiet time that God speaks to you. So when I hear somebody say to me, God's not speaking to me, where's God? I'm, I know what's going on. I know you're not doing your devotions. I know that you're not having a quiet time with God because it's in the quiet time that God speaks. You're not giving God a chance to talk. You're not giving God a chance to speak to your heart. You're too worried trying to fix everything and everybody and fix your kids and fix your family, and fix your boss and fix your work situation and fix your marriage and, and fix yourself trying to trying to figure out a way to solve the problems and you're you're using all your political skill and all your uh, all your your diplomatic skills and all of your very finite wisdom trying to fix the problem and god's sitting here next to you going like this hello so you got a moment i'm i'm willing to help you We desperately looking for something spectacular. And God's saying, come to the quiet. Come to the quiet and hear my voice. Some of you may or may not know this, but even our Lord Jesus Christ, who did all of the miracles that Elijah did and more, even he, in the midst of the busy and the spectacular The Bible says that he went to a solitary place to pray. When I came face to face with this in my early ministry, it revolutionized my life. The Bible says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. 
Folks, listen to me. The spectacular is no substitute for that quiet place, that quiet time with God. And if you haven't picked up your Bible and allowed God to speak to you for a while, then can I tell you that today God is reminding you that he wants to speak? Because this book is God speaking to you. That's what this book is about. And when you pray, that's your opportunity to talk to God. And that happens in the solitary place, the quiet place. It was just you and God. You pour out your heart to God, and God pours out his heart to you through his word. My own walk with God, I've now come to the place where the spectacular actually happens in my quiet time with God. And that's my prayer for you. That God will visit you spectacularly in your quiet time with him. Because that's what he wants to do. My time alone with God is so personal, so intimate, so great, so powerful, so mighty, so spectacular. It's just for me and him. And nobody else knows about my intimate time with God. And I'm going to tell you. It's not just for people who are in the ministry. It's for everybody who says, God is my father. God wants to use you. God wants to do the spectacular through you. But there's no substitute for a quiet time, a solitary place for just you and God. I like what it says in James. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Listen to this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are. And yet, when he prayed earnestly that no rain to fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Elijah was a man just like you and me. And James says, you and I can be used by God to do the spectacular. But it only happens when you are rooted in a quiet, personal, intimate relationship with Almighty God. When's the last time you spent time in the presence of the Almighty? When's the last time you prayed? When's the last time you opened this book and said, God, speak to me today? You should be doing it every day. Some said, you know, Pastor Allen, this is supposed to be a Pentecostal church. Why don't we roll down the aisles more? Why don't we do more carpet time? Why don't we moo like cows more like they do at other churches? Why don't we bark like dogs? Look, at, I'm not even going to comment on that. But I'm going to say this. The powerful and mighty experience with God happens when you are alone with him in that quiet place, in that solitary place. And if you don't believe me, look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our example. He wanted nobody around. It was just him and him and the father. And God spoke to him and God directed him and God told him what to do. And God prepared him to face the cross Let me ask this question. What do you have to face in the days ahead? Will you be ready to face it? 
I can tell you, you won't be ready to face it if you haven't learned how to have a quiet time with God. But if you are faithful in your quiet time with God, you can face anything. You can face anything that this world throws at you because it's you and God. And everybody knows that me and God, we're a majority. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you right now. That it's not in the spectacular, it's not in the earthquakes, it's not in the wind, the whirlwind, the fire, it's not in the, in the noise and the, the loudness and the flamboyant that you speak. It's in that quiet time when we're alone, when it's just you and me. God, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you before my brothers and sisters. I want to say thank you for the spectacular ways that you meet with me in my personal quiet time alone with you. And my prayer, God, is that everyone here today who, who knows you and walks with you would begin to experience you on a daily basis the same way. May each one hear your voice and be encouraged and refreshed so that whatever they're facing, they'll know, God, that you're there. We won't be looking for the spectacular. We'll just have a quiet confidence that is rooted in a quiet time with God in solitude. So God, touch your people now and fill our hearts to overflowing with joy, with gladness, with the comfort of your spirit. We pray that in your name. And everyone said it. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask all of those going to Burundi. In the-